Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. I want to do another survey as we get started tonight, and I want to help identify the talkers in the room, and you might already self-identify as a talker. This may not be difficult for you, but just for fun, come along with me. We're going to ask five questions, and if you, uh, so you can get a, a total of five points if you're like a super talker. So question number one is, what is the first thing you did when you arrived at church tonight? Is it A, found your favorite seat and claimed it, B, recaffeinated for the evening, or C, said hi to everyone in a 20-foot radius. If you were a C, you're a talker, so you get a point. Uh, Number two, number two, Dan walks up to your table and asks, how are you enjoying life together? What do you do? A, stay quiet and wait for someone else to speak. B, give a one-word response like, great. Or C, seize the opportunity to express your opinions on Dan's wardrobe. If you are a C, you're a talker, you get a point. Question number three, how would your fifth grade Sunday school teacher have described you? A, the silent, B, the saint, C, the sinner. If you are a C, you are a talker, you get a point. Number four, what do you do when someone from your church makes a lengthy opinion post on social media? Do you A, scroll on? B, offer vague support with a simple like, love, or laugh. Or C, sit down like Matthew and start writing your gospel. (laughs) If you wrote C, you're a talker. Uh, And question number five, when you head home after church, what kind of church mom are you? A, the kind that gathers her kids like it's an Olympic race and reaches the car in five minutes flat. B, the kind that picks up her kids and then gets distracted in conversation until a child starts crying or breaks something. Or C, the kind that meets someone new, starts talking, and completely forgets she ever had children. (laughs) If you are a talker, I want to let you know tonight that you're in good company. I am a talker. I have this problem where the thoughts that are inside my head occasionally leak out of the hole in the front of my face, and it can cause problems in my life. I, I am an outward processor. I don't know if something is a bad idea until I say it. I work this way in the creative process. I don't know if it's a bad song or a bad script or a bad sermon until I share it. And I'm so sorry that it is that way, but it is that way for me. And it's kind of always been that way. So if you're someone who knows me vaguely and you might think of me as being a rather self-controlled person, then clearly we didn't grow up together. And so my... <laughs> parents, my brother, my sisters, they would all very much disagree with that assessment because my mouth has been getting me into trouble for a very long time. So I have an older brother who is now and has always been taller than me, stronger than me, more athletic than me. But it was never a problem because for what I lacked in muscle mass, I made up for in sharpness of tongue. My daily exercise as a kid involved running from my brother after I had said something really smart. And it kept things moving, and it was a lesson that I learned at a very young age, and it's something that I still believe to be very true today, is that our words are powerful. Our words are powerful, and there is power in 
the right word, a strong word, a kind word, a passionate word, an agitating word, a regretful word, a hateful word, an unforgiving word. There is power in our words, and James wants to talk about our words tonight. Let's start in James chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Let's pray together tonight as we get started. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. I feel your presence in our worship tonight, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we lean into your word, that you would be working. Our words fall flat without you, but with you, truth comes to life. And I pray that as we chase tonight after your spirit and after truth, that that would come alive in us, shift us, let us be an open person to the work that you want to accomplish in our hearts tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today is week five in an eight-week series through the book of James. There's only five chapters. If you sat down and read the whole thing, you could do it in about 15 minutes. And we have been working about through this, learning a little bit about this man. This man, James, is the half-brother of Jesus who struggled to come to faith in Jesus early in his life. But after the resurrection of Christ, James becomes a pillar in this newly formed church. He is an author and a pastor and a missionary, and he writes this five-chapter book about the practice of faith. How is it that we live our faith out? It's not just what do you believe, it's how do you believe? How do your beliefs change the actions of your life? How do you live your faith out? One thing that's really enjoyable about James is every week we've talked about kind of this duality of this two sides of the coin as James walks through these practical issues of our faith. We have talked about trials and temptation. We talked about listening and doing, about judgment and mercy. And two weeks ago, Mandy talked about faith and works. And tonight we're going to talk about care and harm. The questions I want to ask tonight is, what is the greatest potential of your words to bring care to those that are around you? And then I also want to make us very aware of what is the greatest potential of harm that your words could bring to the people that are around you. James moves into this topic by comparing our tongue to three things, and we're going to get started tonight, verse 3, with the first thing he compares our tongue to. James 3.3 says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Your tongue is a bridle. I have a cousin who grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and they were the only people I ever knew as a kid who owned a horse. And they were like big horse people, like go to competitions, have the ribbons in their bedroom, like have like the matching bow that the horse wears and the girl wears while she's riding the horse. So they were all into this, this thing, and now my cousin is my age, and so now she's teaching her kids how to ride a horse. And I'm always kind of both impressed and, and uh, confused by this whole situation at, like, how young they're starting to put these kids onto this giant animal. I mean, an, an average horse weighs, like, 1,000 pounds, and they are strong, and they are filled with lots of muscle link, and they can jump over fences, and they can run for, like, 30, 40 miles an hour. And yet you're putting this like two and three-year-old kid 
on top of this, and I, I don't understand how the horse understands who's in charge, that there's this little kid that's like, let's go this way, and the horse is like, well, okay, if we have to. I mean, it's really the same thing if you've ever watched one of those big derby, Kentucky Derby races, is you have these giant, powerful animals, and you've got this, like, 98-pound jockey on top of them telling them what to do. And I'm not some, like, giant animal activist person, but I'm still, like, the horse. It's like, dude, you don't have to do this, man. Like, step on that guy one time, and he's out. Like, you, you are the stronger one here. And James tells us that your tongue is like a bridle. In your words, you have the power to take something that is stronger than you and move it. There are things in your life that you are not convinced that can be moved, but they can be moved by your words. There are things that can be shifted. There are directions that you are heading towards that can be redirected with the power of your language, with the power of the words that you speak. The second thing he compares us to is a rudder. We see this in verse 4 and 5. He says, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Your tongue is a rudder. You know, it can take years of your life to be moving in a certain direction. And then it is mind-bending how just a few words can shift your life in a completely different direction. There is power in your words. I think of a few phrases that can drastically shift your life forever, that can change the direction of your life. Phrases like, I'm sorry. Saying I'm sorry in the right way at the right moment can shift the direction of your life. Will you forgive me? I love you. Will you marry me? Let's go to Ikea together. <laughs> I hate you. I want a divorce. I never loved you. And when these words come out of our mouth, we can't pull them back in. They are a small thing that makes a giant change. The best memories of your life circle around someone who used their words to bring you care. And some of the worst memories of your life circle around someone who used their words to bring you harm. James chapter 3 verse 5 says this, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. This is harsh language he's using here. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. Your tongue is a bridle, your tongue is a rudder, and your tongue is a spark. And he's not saying this with any positive connotation. He's saying your tongue has the ability to burn your life down. If you do not arrest the wicked potential in the words that you say, your life will become a forest fire. If you feel like the relationships in your life tonight are on fire, you need to consider the words that you are using. Are your words water or are your words gasoline? I want to use this next question as a, a tool for self-evaluation tonight. And the question looks like this. When you're in conflict, does talking about it usually make things worse or better? Think about it. When you're in conflict, 
and you say, let's sit down and talk about it, does that usually make things worse or better? If talking about it always results in bigger blow-ups, in bigger fires, there's something to work on here. Because if the words you say keep starting fires, you're either going to be on fire the rest of your life or you're going to live a very isolated experience. This is what the slow death of a marriage looks like. Two people who can't come together without fighting, so they decide to stop coming together. And many times, I think we can become all too comfortable with this dysfunction. We almost adopt this dysfunction as part of our identity. You know, we say things like, like well, that, you know, I, I'm Italian, and so I, I yell at people a lot. <laughs> It's, it's, it's almost funny to me, like, the amount of ethnicities that have tried to, like, claim the corner office on bad language. It's like, ah, oh, well, mom is Puerto Rican, so, I mean, she's going to tell you like it is. Or it's like, ah, oh, well, grandpa, he's an old Irish man, so once he's had a couple drinks, he is mean. Aunt Ruth, she's, like, Polish, German. Maybe she was an old nun. She's just, she's, she just gets kind of crazy. And that we've kind of adopted this as, like, part of our personality, Using harmful language is not a personality, it is not a cultural identity, it is sinful, and sin destroys things. And so we don't want to accept this dysfunction. We don't want to allow this dysfunction to be something that is an agreeable part of our life. If your words are harming people, if your words are bringing pain to the people that are around you, that's sin, and sin's going to keep destroying things. So what do we do? How do we find healing in this? Let's keep reading. Here's verse 7 through 10. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. I'm a talker, and this has been a difficult sermon for me. I have children, and I'm guilty of everything that's just right here. When James looks at me and says, Dan, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. You use your mouth to praise things and to bring life and health, but you also use your mouth sometimes to be too harsh, to be strict, to be mean, to be selfish. And God says, I don't want to see bitter water and fresh water coming out of the same spring. That's not right. This is not how this should be. So the question is, is how do we change our speech? We need to become disciplined and passionate about the words that we speak. Your words matter. I, I, I want to share with you three steps tonight to choose care over harm. And the first thing I want to encourage every one of us to do when we reach those moments of conflict, when we begin to have that anxiety about the words we're about to say, I want to encourage you first to pause. One of the easiest traps to fall into when we are struggling to control our speech is the speed of our responses. Someone sends something harsh or sharp your way, and you feel like the greatest thing to do is you want to get back in the game and send something back as soon as possible. There was an interesting study out of the University of Melbourne, and they were talking about finding that relationship between alertness and clarity. If in my speech, 
I'm going to make a hypothesis that when I am really alert, I will be really clear. And so they did a bunch of different tests in order to raise people's heart rates to make sure they were fully awake, make sure they were really like, like, like zoned in to what was happening and how clear their speech was. And then they did something else and they put them into a very calm place. They slowed them down. They slowed their heartbeat and did the exact same thing. And they found the opposite of what they originally found out was that alertness did not lead to clarity, but calmness led to clarity. If you want to be careful with the words that you say, you need to pause and you need to slow down. When someone sends you an email that causes you stress, if it is your boss or if it is an email forward from Aunt Ruth, you need to pause before you respond. Many times when I get those emails, I'm going to stop and I'm just going to wait a day. I'm going to sleep on it and then I'm going to respond the next day. As a pastor, I have received some kind of crazy emails and a few that were time stamped at like 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning. You should not be communicating anything at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning. You will not be speaking clearly. Your thoughts will not be well arranged. You will not be choosing your words carefully when you are choosing your words when you are not calm, which is why it is so important to pause. Me and Mandy, in our first year of marriage, really worked through some stuff and really had time to kind of create some ground rules for our marriage that has really created patterns of healthy conflict in our marriage. And one of our rules is that you always have the freedom to reschedule conflict. That means that when we're in a moment in a conversation, I am always allowed to say, Mandy, this is really important to me. Can we talk about this at lunch tomorrow? And she is always allowed to say, Dan, I know we need to talk about this. Can we wait until the morning to talk about it? Because there is an awareness that right now is not always the best time to talk about things. If you are tired, if you are frustrated, if you are emotionally revved up about a subject matter, you are not going to go about it in the best way. If you can pause, if you can reschedule your conflict, you're going to find that that next day, when you follow through on what you said you were going to do, when you follow through on that conversation, you are going to have a much better conversation. And the same thing goes in the category of texting. You know, I think today, it's like every person now has two tongues. You have the one in your mouth and you have the one in your thumb that's busy at work sharing things on texting. I will not text conflict with anyone. If you are someone who sends something to me that is of an important subject to me, like, Dan, I'm really upset about this. You know, Dan, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe you said this. I will respond to you with, this is really important to me. When can we talk? Because it doesn't read well, and it's the same thing that's true about the short comments you're leaving on someone's post on Facebook, is that you cannot catch someone's spirit from five or six words in an emoji. Like, it's not going to work. Pull those out. Get into a real conversation with people, and I promise you, it will work better. You say, Dan, ugh, but that causes me so much anxiety. It's safer. I feel safer just to send that text and then, like, get out of the way because no one can punch you in the face when you're separated by a screen. But get out of there and take the step of maturity. It is the more difficult step, but I promise you the more excellent road is not the easy road, but it is the more excellent road. And to get out of those moments and engage in real face-to-face -face, calm conversations with people, you will find your resolutions coming at you so much faster and in a much more godly way. 
after we pause, the second thing I want to challenge each one of us to do tonight is to think. And we're going to use the word think tonight as an acronym that we're going to work through the things that we can think about as we are thinking about our responses and about the way that we use our words. The T stands for true. Is it true? When you are thinking about how to respond, I want you to ask yourself the question, is it true? You never take out the trash. Never take out the trash. Exaggerating is never helpful. I dare you to remove the words never and always from your arguments. I think it will greatly encourage a more positive outcome. When you exaggerate, you are upsizing every conflict in your life. She was mean to me turns into she's always mean to me. He didn't notice my new dress turns into he never notices me. You are blowing things up because you are speaking words that are not true. I was in my car two hours ago picking up my kids from school and someone in the back says, Miles spit all over me. I said, try again. Did Miles spit all over you? (laughs) He spit on my leg. Well, praise God, he didn't spit all over you. Because that would be worse. When we speak, we need to speak things that are true. The H is for helpful. Is it helpful? You've gained a few pounds. It might be true. But is it helpful? I want to tell you one of the key traits I evaluate when I'm deciding what to say and what not to say to someone. And the trait I'm always trying to evaluate with spiritual discernment is openness. So let's pretend that you guys went into audition for the lead role of our Christmas musical and you gave like a terrible vocal audition. So if there was 100 notes, you missed like 99 and a half of them. When I'm deciding what to say next, I'm not asking myself what is true because I'm pretty sure I know what's true. What I'm asking myself is what is helpful. And to determine what is helpful, I'm trying to sense openness. Are you someone who is open to criticism? Are you someone who is willing to grow, wanting to grow, passionate about growth? And if I sense and you have demonstrated yourself to be an open person, then I'm going to share more with you. Because I believe that more of that truth is going to be helpful to you if you are not someone who I discern to be an open person. If you are someone who has demonstrated yourself to not be an open person to criticism, then we're not going to go there. We're going to say light things like, thanks so much for coming in. I'm so glad you're a part of this church. I like your shoes. And then we're going to move on because that truth would not be helpful We need to say things that are helpful. The I is for inspiring. Is it inspiring? What are we encouraging people towards? Do the words you speak move people closer to Christ? Will it inspire your husband to be a more Christ-like husband if you list off the three things he did wrong yesterday or the three things he did right yesterday? When you put your children in bed, would it be better to spend the last 30 minutes of their day yelling at them to be quiet or would it be better to just sit down with them and read the book of Deuteronomy to them until they lose consciousness? The N stands for, is it necessary? There's an old French writer who once said, the secret of being boring is to say everything. (laughs) Sometimes we're just literally saying too much. When your value is completely contingent on the people around you, when your identity is contingent on your relationships and who likes you this week and who does not like you, it causes you to look in every direction for affirmation and trying to fix everything and make it work. When your identity is solely contingent on who he is and who he says that you are, you begin developing this excellent, ever-growing skill set of letting stuff go. And when you pause 
And when you think about it, more often than not, God is going to give you the strength and you are going to look at the things that used to look large and in comparison to him and how good he is, you're going to look at that thing that used to look large and say, I'm going to let it go. And you're going to walk away and you're going to decide that that conflict is unnecessary. It doesn't need to be addressed. I don't need to fight every battle. I can just let this go. And then K stands for kind. Is it kind? Are you speaking with kindness? Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Speak kindly when you feel hurtful words rising from your abdomen. I want to encourage you to pause, to think, and then to pray. And our morning life together group, we have every Wednesday at 10 a.m. We have it back in the cafe. And uh, it's the same message that I'm preaching right now, but what's different about that morning group is that they pick out the worship songs. We have like a, a nice, beautiful, old brown hymnal, and then we'll just name numbers and sing through these old hymns, and it's always really enjoyable. I grew up with um, great old hymn music, and I enjoy doing that. One of the songs we sang this morning is a song called Blessed Assurance, and it was the second verse of it that really hit me today, and the second verse opens like this. It says, perfect submission. What does that mean? Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Blessed really just means to be connected to God. That when we are blessed, we are one with him. And when I am with him, it brings me joy. And how am I at rest at him? I am at rest with him when I am perfectly submitted. When I pause before I talk, I think, and then I pray, that prayer is me bowing down my will to his will and saying, God, I want to be perfectly submitted to you. I want every word that I say come under your authority, come under your blessing. And when I am perfectly submitted, guess how I'm going to feel about my life? All is at rest. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul lists out a bunch of the uh, gifts of the Spirit, and it's all of these different giftings that operate um, for those who've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, for those who've submitted their life to God completely, and it's this, this long list, and some of you may be familiar with a lot of them. There's things like speaking in other tongues, interpretation of tongues, there's prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and one thing I find so fascinating about that entire list is every single one of the items on that list focuses in on the words that you say. There's not a spiritual gift for like super strength or like running really fast. It's about the words that you say, and I think there is something poetically beautiful about the idea that when I surrender to God, I'm gonna give him things like my finances and my actions. I'm gonna surrender to him the practices of my day, my sexuality. I'm gonna honor him in all of these things. But if I really want to give him everything, you know what he wants? He wants my words. He wants my words. And when the Holy Spirit moves in my life, you know what he takes over? He takes over my words. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit helps us pray because we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know what to pray for. Our words betray us. And even when we sit down to pray, we still have to stop and go, Holy Spirit, would you even help me pray? Would you even tell me what to say to God? 
Would you even help me cry out for the things that I need to cry out for? Would you help me to choose my words in that submission? God meets us when we are perfectly submitted to God with our words. He meets us there, and you are going to start walking into a life that is all at rest. Psalm chapter 141, verse 3, has this beautiful prayer. He says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. I need to walk into that verse every time I walk out of my house and every time I walk into my house. Lord, take guard of my words. Protect me. Take control of the words that I say. Let my words be your words. Let my sentences be your sentences. Let my speeches be your speeches. Take control. I want to read the the last two verses of James chapter 3 as we close today. This is verses 16 through 18. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I want to pray tonight that your words, as you go into difficult conversations, that your words will plant seeds of peace and will harvest righteousness. Your words are powerful. Do not underestimate the negative strength of your words, but do not underestimate the positive strength of your words. Do not underestimate the pounds of care that your words can bring to the people that are around you. Your words can go through life planting seeds of peace to harvest righteousness. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for meeting with us tonight. I thank you that as we walk through your word, you're already working in this room and that each one of us in this conversation has had points where your spirit lights things up, where it brings certain moments to our attention and it causes us to change our thinking, that causes us to allow your spirit to bring moments to our attention that we would come before you and that we would be perfectly submitted to you. I pray, God, that you would control our speech. I pray that you would guard our lips. I pray that you would call each one of us to be perfectly submitted to you. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up a strength within us. I pray that you would remind us of the power that we have to bring care to those that are around us. Ah, Lord, let our words be words that plant seeds of peace and bring in harvest of righteousness. I pray that we would see that come active. Let us be people of faith. I have faith right now, God, that we will see that happen in this room, in our families, in our workplaces, that we would see seeds of peace bringing out harvest of righteousness because of the things that we say. I pray, Lord, that our, our words would be submitted to your spirit and that your word above all things would be accomplished. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. 
You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.